Welcome to Mormon Visual Culture, a podcast presented by the Zion Art Society and hosted by me, Micah Christensen. This year, we celebrate the 50th anniversary of President Spencer W. Kimball's landmark talk, The Gospel Vision of the Arts, through discussions with prominent artists, collectors, and scholars about artwork that has inspired them and shaped LDS culture. This week, we speak with the artist, Jenity Page. Jenity is a figurative artist who trained at BYU-Idaho and who is doing a number of exciting works right now featuring um, figurative works with women that have deep, deep spiritual uh, um, ground. Um, This conversation we had with Jenity is one of my favorites and one that discusses spirituality uh, and um, the process of making art in a way that I think um, I'd never quite heard before. Jenity is a, uh, a marathon runner as well, and the juxtaposition of both her very disciplined approach to things and her curiosity and her willingness to let art lead her where um, she doesn't know where it's going provided an incredible insight not only into her work, but into the creative process and meaning in art and the usefulness of art. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Welcome, Jenity. We're so happy to have you here. Um, let's talk about, first of all, the work that you've you've chosen to talk about to start okay. our conversation. It is Exultari Number no. 1 by Ron Richmond. Yes. So tell us, why did you choose this piece? So as, as you gave me this assignment to to pick an LDS artist, it was really difficult because I love so many LDS artists and a lot of them are my friends. And <laughs> so I was trying to pick like, who am I going to talk about? And two things that were really important to me in picking a piece was I wanted one that was masterfully painted. Like I love realism and representationalism like really speaks to me, but also I love symbolism and a lot of strong, like a strong concept behind the piece. I don't want just a pretty picture. I want it to have a lot of emotion and a story to tell with it. So he checks off both those boxes. So bam, bam, Ron Richmond totally stands out. And especially I was trained as an illustrator. And in that training, you are taught that the simpler you can say something, the more power it will have. Mm -hmm. So take this concept, whatever it is that you want to say, and, and try to like strip it down to the most basic form and you will have the most potent visual image that you can portray. So let's describe the image for those who are listening to this and okay. don't have, even though the images will be up on our website, zionartsociety.org forward slash podcast, you'll be able to see this if you want to. But if you're if you're not looking at that right now, Jenity, do you want to walk us through what this looks like? Sure. So it's a vertical composition. You have a white robe raising up um, kind of from the bottom. It almost looks as if there's a... A person standing there but the person's not there all you get is the robe almost like a robe that was on someone's shoulders and um, towards the top of the composition you have a circle with um, palm branches in a radial pattern um, going out and then towards the bottom of the painting you have the words exultare um, kind of inscribed uh, over the robe so, so- in, from my experience, and I was look as I was looking up this work, and as I've looked at other works by Ron Richmond, he is 
deliberately not overly explanatory. I know. <laughs> in his works and what like, they are. Where's the description, Ron? <laughs> it's like a, but it's kind of fun because it's like a visual puzzle that you so, have to figure out. When you look at let's let's um let's talk about the symbolism for a moment. Let's set aside the technique and the painterly qualities of it for a moment, and let's just talk about this choice of these symbols that he has. And okay. I want to I want to read something okay. that I, I found that was a statement by him about his his use of uh, of uh, of of symbolism. Okay. So he said, the actual layer of paint on canvas or board is the surface, which fact can never be ignored. The brush strokes are also symbols. They may, if only formal in presentation, still symbolize to the eye, mind, or heart meanings only realized by our subconscious yearnings for archetypes. Archetypes begin as personal and reveal themselves to the collective the individual to the common, a paradox exists in the fact that no matter how exactly an object is represented, it is still an illusionistic symbol of something else. There's a lot in that. I know. <laughs> I was smiling as I was reading it because in a way it made me feel like, you know, there's, there's deep water here. He's obviously saying he's got a lot to say with this image, but he is almost stubbornly, deliberately not going to tell us and give us a key that'll unlock it all for us. Right. Um, why, is, is that something that appeals to you about his work? I've noticed it's a consistent thing. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm very descriptive about my paintings. Like I will write, I could write pages and pages about my art because I want everybody to know what I'm thinking. So this guy is the, the exact opposite of me because he will tell you, Exaltare, number one. That's all you get. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and I've, I've seen them in museums, and I see there's one of the Church Art History Museum right now. There's been several that have been in the Spring Salon and spiritual and religious exhibition that they have at BYU. And he's in collections all over, all over the United States and has been in shows all over the States and the world. Um, very, maybe we should say something about his background. Ron Richmond studied at BYU, where he did his undergraduate and his master's. He lives, is it Mount Pleasant? Yes, he the, does. the artist community. And um, he has won multiple awards um, from not only local prestigious contests like the Spring Salon and the Spiritual and Religious Show and the Church International Contest, but he's also placed in the still life category of the Art Renewal Centers. Right. Con which is this international over 10,000 artists submitting. So he's recognized beyond just being a religious LDS artist. Right. He's known as being, and, and I shouldn't say just, that's a hard, that's, that's, that's pretty discriminatory. And it's somewhat okay. self-loathing. I didn't mean that that way, but I do wonder um, how many audiences is he playing to here? Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of the reason maybe that he doesn't, that he leaves it a mystery is because then it, it allows the viewer to put their story in it, you know, put themselves in it, whatever, whatever they want to take out of it, they can. You know? So when you look at this from just not from an artist craft perspective, yeah. right? But from a symbolic perspective, what does it say to you? What is your personal interpretation of what's going on here? I think it's a painting about the resurrection. Okay. And, um, why? Well, <laughs> for one, I looked up the word exultare which is Latin, and it means to rejoice or to be very happy. Um, its root, exultar, also comes from the Latin word exultso, which means to spring or leap up. And so it's, it's this 
not just happiness. It's like you're so happy you're going to like leap for joy kind of a thing. And so you know that the painting is about that. And then the palm branches are a symbol of triumph and of peace. But also in ancient Egypt, they were a symbol of immortality. And so you have that. And they are in a radial pattern in a circle, kind of like the sun. And then also I see this robe um, over the shoulders of someone who's not there. And I can hear kind of in my head, like, he is not here, but he is risen. And then also, I kind of like how... So the absence itself of a figure is right, is, 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 uh, is useful. Which is kind of brilliant. Like, the, like right. he says as much with the stuff that he doesn't put in his painting as much as the stuff that he does include in it, which is awesome. And then in this painting in particular, I can kind of see a cross between the, the palm branches and the vertical composition, you know? Um, you can kind of see those palm branches sticking out, like kind of where the shoulders would be on either side. It does seem like it's deliberately like a shawl that's meant to go over the shoulders. There's a head, there's a place for the arms, the palm branches take a big part of that. There's almost something like an icon about this, especially with the incorporation of the writing in it. It does, I don't know what the size is. I wasn't able to find a size. Is this, have you seen this? Oh yeah, it's 50 by 30... Three, so it's enormous. Yes. Enor- well, maybe he not like monumental, but it's really large. Big. Like a lot of his paintings it's large. are pretty big. Yeah. Let's talk about it from a craft perspective. As okay. an artist, what strikes you about Ron Richmond in this work in particular and maybe in general? Um, I really love his his treatment of his panels. Um, I watched a video where he like just pours a bunch um, of kind of thinned out oil paint and just lets it roll around the... The canvas to make this gray wash over the whole thing and then I like how he just lets the image kind of emerge from that wash um, and he is very careful in preserving his opacities for the vocal like focal point of the painting you'll notice so for, like, for non-artists when you say opacities is like the, focal the thickness point. of the paint so it's it'll, he has it he plays with thin and thick you know it's like a a really um, common tool in design and paint is to to play with you know transparent versus opaque and he does it really really well you'll notice like the the lightest light and the darkest dark in the painting he reserves for right there at the center um, where the where the robe and the palm branches intersect yeah and it's then, it's a the the choice of contrasts in this work really draw your eye in in a very careful way that the moment you start noticing them you realize how how strong the line is in particular places and the shadows around them. And it, it creates a sense of drama that if there were a figure there, you wouldn't notice as much as if it's just the the just the, robe. The, the robe. Well and and I Ron, wouldn't. I think, is a master at drapery. I mean, by there's like no question. And I mean I've painted a lot of drapery and it is not easy to like <laughs> you don't just like throw the fabric, you know, over a chair or whatever and it's just beautiful. No, you usually have to design oh. it out. And so he has designed out these folds as kind of like a visual ladder that leads you up the in, painting. In the Baroque in Europe in the 18th century, no, 17th century, there was really an emphasis on robes as, and, and folds as part of a composition. In so much so that it became a class within, a discipline in and of itself within the academy. So you would take... You take a class on the human figure and you would take one on folds. Yeah. And so the fact that he's 
he's got this master this he's, he's just playing at a very high level it makes me wonder how much of this is it can't be invented entirely because she's got to be looking at how things fold over and light oh, and no. shade shifts from one thing to yeah. another. And I, I wonder how many safety pins are behind this. I'm kind of like a mundane <laughs> level, right? Like, is he is he putting this up on some kind of a dummy and ignoring the 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 mannequin itself, right? It's it's uh, it's really remarkable. And and it's also interesting how it looks like. And you can tell me if I'm totally off on this. Okay. If he's done the palm first, and then he's he's painted that, and then he's he's painted the robe over it, and allowed to either either chosen not to paint where part of that was, or he sanded down to that layer. Some transparencies in the robe. Yeah, which is yeah. an interesting choice of itself. It makes it less of a representational, more of an abstracted, otherworldly feeling. Yeah. Well, and I think compositionally stronger you know because you can feel more the radial pattern of the the branches because he allowed that transparency through the robe yeah but i even you know i i showed this painting to my seven-year-old just wanted to know what he thought and i said hey what do you what do you think this is a painting of and he said i think it's a ghost <laughs> and I said, why do, you, why do you think that? And he's like, well, because it looks like someone's standing there, but they're not there. And I said, who huh. do you think is supposed to be there, but is not? And he says, Jesus. And I said, how do you know? And he said, because he was resurrected. Wow. Right? So, I mean, wow. that's my take on it. I feel a little bit um, funny talking about this painting because it's not my own. And I, everything that I'm saying today is just my opinion you yeah. know like i'm wondering what like if ron listens to this he's gonna be like she was way up but you know that's what he allows the viewer um, yeah well i was going to say no offense to ron but if he had given us a a a, a key and a, a and a to his lexicon and everything was so specific and he wanted it to be interpreted a single way right then i think he would have told us so i think we've been given permission yeah and it doesn't strike me it and Oh, that's just a fascinating conversation to have with your, with your seven year old, with, with your seven year old. It's yeah. this, this idea that I think we often get in the way of our own interpretation of art. We've been, okay, this is Micah tangent for a second. I think that since the, the age of, of modernism and artist manifestos, there's been, which has its good things. I don't want to make it sound like that's all negative, but there has been this feeling that you have to be an intellectual and you have to have read volumes in order to interpret a work of art mm -hmm. and to be thoughtful about it. And that mind shift from art being something that was solely the preoccupation of the educated and the elite versus something that was accessible and available to the, the masses is, is uh, something that I think religious art and people like Ron Richmond has this he's really straddling the line because on one hand there's deep intellectual water here, but the seven year old can get it too. Right. Is says a lot about those two opposing things in, in, and, and how LDS art and children who are given a lot of tools through the church right. are able to see it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your work now. And I want to okay. dive in immediately. We usually we go through, you know, artist biography okay. and training I want to do it a little differently because I'm, I just, I don't want to miss out on the opportunity to talk about your process, which fascinates me. You've got a okay. blog yes. on your website. It's mm -hmm. genitypage.com is your website. Mm -hmm. 
J-E-N-E-D-Y-P-A-I-G-E. Got it. Okay. <laughs> and we'll have it on our website for other people to see, but just so people know the numbers of N's That's and the right. E on the end. It's always very confusing. Um, and and I, I really, um, and this says more about me maybe than it does about anybody else, but I am an absolutely obsessed with artist process. And um, you have a very carefully documented the work you did on the painting, Let Go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want you to tell us from, from conception to the daily slog to knowing when you were ended it about this painting. And let's first describe, I want to describe this painting. I'm going to okay. try and describe it. I'm okay. going to take that away right, from you. Do it. Okay. And I want you to correct me if I get anything okay. wrong. <laughs> so we have a woman who is standing with her hands in front of her um, that the, the, the knuckles are touching one another and she's holding in her left hand a balloon, a black balloon that is going up and cutting. It's, 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 uh, it's going directly down the center of the painting, the line of the balloon string up to a balloon that's black and it creates a kind of a reflection that works like a mirrored surface and you can see her and the, from the from the top and you can see the space to back where the uh, the the artist would be and she is i don't know if she's kneeling or not she's standing she's standing okay and and uh, there's an enormous focus on her hands and on her face that not only is demonstrative of your remarkable ability here in modeling and the anatomy, but also um, it really, it, there's, there's an emotional power to the hand and the face that, uh, that, that uh, really, like, it, it's tr- it creates a kind of trance for me. It's, it's remarkable. I want to know, um, this is, seems like a Ron Richmond piece in this sense. Not that I'm comparing you to like okay. in any other way other than on this very like superficial level, perhaps it's superficial, perhaps not. That I feel like I need a key. <laughs> I feel like I need, I need and, and hearing let go, there's a lot in there that I can interpret from it. Um, maybe I don't, but I don't want you to describe and tell me what it means or give me the key out. Maybe you don't want to do it at all. I want you to tell me how you conceived of this image because it's not typical. Right. <laughs> this is not an art historical subject that's been done over and over and over again. Yeah, well, um, I think that's because um, the, I'm not a typical artist. I I haven't been drawing since I was three. It, it actually came about my senior year of high school when we moved to a, a small community and art was kind of the only thing I could take. Where did you move to? Johnstown, Colorado. How small is Johnstown? Well, it's gotten quite a bit bigger since I lived there like 12 years ago or, or whatever. But at the time, we only had um, like one stoplight. And Who's we, by the way? Well, the town had one stoplight. But I mean, we, we moved there. Who was oh, my the, family. Your family. Mm-hmm. So your your mom and dad? And, and my siblings. Okay, and siblings. Okay. And where did you move from? From uh, Clearfield, Utah. Okay. So is that where you were raised and born and raised? I wasn't really born and raised anywhere because I've never lived anywhere longer than five years. Why not? My dad just liked to move. Yeah. He was electrical. People were like, was your dad in the military? No. He was an electrical engineer, but he just would get the itch to move, so he would. Okay. So, sorry, so, I interrupted you. You yeah, go to Johnstown. So, and there I learned that art was about communicating a message. So this art teacher had us keep an art journal. And that was so powerful for me, the idea of taking things that I was going through and trying to 
put them into an image. Um, I had obviously a lot of emotions with the move and then just being a 17 year old girl and I would, I couldn't draw very well. So I did a lot of cutting out of like national geographic and like there was glitter and like, like leaves and glue. And it was not like fine art by any stretch of the imagination, but it was learning how to create an image that said something. And I kind of realized, even though I went to school for illustration, that I'm back to art journaling. Like I just Mm. take what I'm going through and I think, how can I say this in an image? And so that's all of my work comes from journals. I write every day. So did this come from a particular journal entry? Yeah. In fact, if you look on my, um, on my blog where I show the development of the painting, you can see like I took a picture of the actual page from my journal where I was working on it. I did see it. Yeah. And so um, I was dealing with anxiety. That's something that I struggle with. Um, I think it kind of runs in my family, but it's been particularly difficult because I lost my son when he was three and a half. And you go through something super traumatic like that. Um, he drowned. And so it was it was totally unexpected and, mm. and kind of obviously shocking. And you kind of get this PTSD. Like you feel, wait, my life used to be so beautiful and perfect. And now I'm susceptible to like horrible things. <laughs> and how, s- how long ago did that happen? He passed away in um, November of 2011. So that was not very long ago. Well, kind of. I mean, <laughs> it's 2011 been, doesn't seem like a long time to me. Almost been six years. This so November almost, will be six. And you have other children. Yes. Too. So I have three other kids. Were you producing art at the time? Yes. And so you had been. You were an artist at the time. Has your art changed since? <laughs> yeah, a lot. I mean. For one, I just, I feel because I started kind of late in the game, like I didn't start really drawing until, you know, college. I've, I've had a little bit of this the past 10 years of just kind of getting up to speed, I feel, with, with everybody, but also. That's an yeah. interesting, let me stop you okay. there for just a second, because this is something I hear from every artist, <laughs> no matter when they've started. And I think it's because um, that there's, there is, even the history of art, even the first histories of art, like. Vasari writing in the 16th century about the Renaissance generation. There's this, he talks about what we now jokingly say in art history is the Vasari legend, which is a, like a piece of, of, a, of burnt wood falls out of the fireplace and a three-year-old starts immediately drawing the portraits of everyone in the family. <laughs> and then it seems like there's this expectation that we'll never catch up to the amount of time that artists spent training before, oh. right? And so you started... When you were in high school, about 17 with mm-hmm. art as a concept, yeah. but you started really drawing when you got to college, yeah. you'd say, as an illustrator. Mm-hmm. That seems pretty typical to me. It doesn't seem really? atypical okay, well, for now. That makes me feel better. <laughs> but but, but I, I do think that, that there is a lot of pressure, though, to feel like you, there's that old saying that Aang had, that uh, the, the director of the Academy, that it takes you 20 years to learn how to draw and three days to learn how to paint. Well, I mean, is do you are you still hard on yourself about drawing? Well, to- yeah, because you know, I mean, they talk about as like you said, like the fundamentals of art. And honestly, I've never been very comfortable with line. I do much better with the shape and planes of color and value. And so, painting is way more natural to me than drawing. So, when you work on an art like this, mm-hmm. do you keep it light on the drawing, and then you work on color? Um, range it do you, do you immediately go in with a big brush and start yeah like blocking in blocking big in shapes things. yeah and i'm drawing the entire time it takes me like the entire painting to correct my drawing 
Interesting. We maybe let's go back okay. to the idea of where the concept came from okay, originally I know, for I'm this sorry. work. No, 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 no. Don't be sorry. This is so the concept came from tragedy that I went through, and yes, I've spent since my son passed away. I have used art as the best kind of therapy um, to deal with all the emotions that come up with it. And so this particular piece was inspired by anxiety, and I was drawing in my journal like girls like biting their fingers or like how do you show this tension that I felt inside this like I almost had like heart palpitations because I was so all these like vain imaginations worries that were I don't know totally random but and then one day my my son walks into my bathroom I was getting ready for the day and he's dragging a black balloon behind him that we got at like the dollar store and I saw him and all of a sudden it was just like that's it you that's exactly how I feel I feel like I'm just dragging this black balloon around with me and I loved the concept of the balloon because she's holding on to it right like as soon as she lets go that balloon is like gonna go away and a, you would think of a balloon as like a really light thing you know but here she is and I actually tied a, like a five pound weight to the string of this balloon for my model because I wanted that tension in her fingers to feel like she's holding on to it with everything that she has, hmm. you know? And so, um, and then in the, in the reflection in the balloon, you'll see my son's portrait on the wall. This is actually reflecting, um, a hallway like the, this is the front door of my house. And so this is reflecting the, the entry to my house and I'm in the portrait in the balloon, taking a picture of the model. And, um, Anyways, and she was fabulous model. Wow, like she just really, I felt like she, sometimes you get in a model and you're like, hey, now I want you to try and feel everything that I'm feeling. <laughs> and sometimes they don't and sometimes they do. And she just totally embodied this feeling. And then I do a lot of scripture study in conjunction with my painting. And I looked, I knew I wanted to name this painting Let Go because it was for me and for whoever else would view it as a reminder, you've got to let this go. And if you look up the phrase let go in the scriptures, it takes you to the Old Testament during the Law of Moses where during an animal sacrifice, two birds were presented and one was sacrificed and the other was, and it used the exact phrase, let go. And I thought that this just posed such a beautiful you know, concept that once this atonement has been made, then by all means, let it go. You know? I'm not. I'm not an analyst, a, 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 a psychologist, um, but I do wonder. You know, I I think all of us have tragedies in our life. I don't know if any match up to the loss of of a child. I don't know. Do you have the expectation that eventually it can be let go? Is it? Oh yeah, and I mean, I talk about it in the description of my painting. It's it's so beautiful to me how God has given me this gift of art that kind of walks me through life it's like in the i paint this painting because i'm having such extreme anxiety and the miracle of it is is that when i was done with the painting i didn't feel it anymore ever yet and it's like it was taken from me <laughs> like the the weight that i felt on my chest was lifted was it was it uh was there a moment you can point to when it happened when you stood back from the painting and said well, yeah, that's it. I don't know. It's kind of, you know, it. I create paintings. I mean, this probably took me a couple months to create. And I work at like four in the morning because I've got little kids and that's when I can paint. So I'm downstairs in my basement studio <laughs> and I cry <laughs> and I listen to um, 
talks and I listen to devotionals and I listen to scriptures and I paint and it's just this really emotional process and it's like yeah just the, the that those morning morning after morning after morning as I'm studying this concept of letting go and reading these scriptures and creating this image that it's like um, I'm somehow able God's able to kind of help change me as like create me as I create the art you know so it it strikes me that for you the process of painting itself is such a spiritual it has a direct connection to scriptures to your religious experience is it is is it always been that way for you or when <laughs> when did it become that way was it after the death of your child no it was long before because um i went to byu idaho to get a degree and you know here i am like i decided to be an artist like five months ago <laughs> and um, did you feel that way with your classmates oh, it? yeah like there's so many people in my class they could just draw circles around me so first day of freshman orientation we're in this big auditorium and they're doing a powerpoint presentation and they're showing the work of students that have graduated from the program and as they're showing this work now you know you think i came from this tiny little high school and you know i'm suddenly in this much bigger pond and i'm seeing all of this work and I'm just blown away at the ability and the talent of these students. And so I got like smaller and smaller in my chair and I thought there is no way. <laughs> what kept you going? There is no way. I can what do kept this. you going with all that, yeah. in, that, that intimidation that yeah. you felt? So I left crying okay. like a girl and I'm walking home to my apartment. I'm, I'm a very emotional person and just literally crying thinking I'm going to have to change my major. There's no way I can do art. I have, I've got nothing. And I was crossing the street in Rexburg across from the football stadium. And I kid you not, I felt this whisper from heaven say, Jenity, you can be an artist. And I was stunned. And I, I almost, I think I looked up and I said, have you seen my work? <laughs> because I, I'm really bad. And, and I just felt, I, will, I can help you do it. I can help you do this, Jenity. And I thought, wow, well, you can do it anything so I've got a lot of work to do so that's when I started going to school for because I felt like God was going to help me but I felt like I had to give him everything that I had and so I would start each morning at 4 a.m with prayer because I knew I I knew what my ability was my ability was like National Geographic and glitter glue and like stick figures so <laughs> so you know I prayed hey, for some people that that that's the end <laughs> Right. And it's, and, it, and they get great results with that. <laughs> That's right. Um, but so I, and I had such a desire to be good. I still do. I had this like fire inside me. I wanted it so bad. And so I would just pray and work and pray and work. And that pattern has just continued over the course of like the past 12 years. This goes to conversations I've had with other artists and with a question that I think a lot of people ask themselves who get involved in the arts. You've mentioned in your biography on your website, do you think that art is a skill that can be learned? Yes. It's not necessarily just like a gift that lands Absolutely in not. your lap that you can just use at will. No. And I, there is a tension in people's minds often between natural ability and acquired, iterative work that it takes to get to a certain level. And you are one of these people, for those who know you, you're athletic. You run... Yeah. You do marathons. Mm -hmm. What else do you do? I jump rope. You jump rope? You jump rope? <laughs> I was on a competitive jump rope team competitive. when I was a kid. <laughs> and and, and those are very, those are things that can be measured. It reminds right. me of a conversation that I had with Ryan Brown where he said, 
I you can you can see a, a goal and you can you can work towards it and there's something comforting about that. that there's a standard, mm-hmm. and that's definitely one way of looking at art and its skills. That some people are blessed with natural ability, but all of everybody has to work on the basic skills. Mm-hmm. It seems like that's something you're very good at in a lot of areas in your life at just putting your head to the grindstone. <laughs> and I mean, you're waking up at 4 a.m. every morning. Is that an everyday thing? Yes. And you know, it's funny that you say that because I actually had a professor in college who told me, Genity art is not your greatest ability, but persistence is, and that will make you a great artist. <laughs> and I, I, I sat there for a minute and I said, was that a compliment? You know? <laughs> like, well, it also, it begs another question, which is, in my, in my opinion, you're, you're doing phenomenal work. I wouldn't have you and talk about your art otherwise on here. Thank you. When do you feel like you've arrived? Oh, um, I mean, when when do you reach your like? I don't know what the standard in racing is for whatever time you want to make. Pace? Yeah. yeah, your pace. <laughs> when do you when do you arrive at your ideal pace in art? I think it's a continual thing. I mean, even in running. I mean, I just ran a race last weekend where I um, I got a personal best, but then it's like the personal best gets reset every time. You know, I feel every time I finish a painting, I think, oh, wow, that's probably my personal best. And then, okay, let's start over and try and, and beat that, you know? <laughs> so it, it, there really is no end. It's just... No. I mean, I want to do... My goal in art is to create art that um, evokes emotion in other people, that maybe helps inspire other people that are going through hard things. But I also have this desire as far as realism um, to just be a master at replicating life and doing it in a beautiful way. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about your process for making this. You get the concept and I've seen the journal entry that that you photographed that is, it's fairly rudimentary, but it's pretty simple. It's pretty similar to what you'd get in a thumbnail compositional sketch, right? Where does the work go from there? So then once I get the idea, I hire a model and we do a photo shoot and then I go through. Do you take the photos for yourself? Yes. And how many, and how long does that last? How long does the photo shoot last? Yeah, and how many photos are you taking and keeping for reference? An hour or two. Okay. And I'll take a couple hundred pictures. And do you use all of them or do you just kind of stick to a couple that really strike it for you? Um, I'll usually get maybe a couple paintings out of one photo shoot. Okay. And I'll maybe use, I don't know, three to five um, images for one painting. Have you landed on the composition at the moment of the photo shoot by the time they've gotten there? Or is it something that while you're doing the photo shoot, you're experimenting? Yeah, a lot for with sure. Because <laughs> like I said, like just drawing out of my head, I'm still pretty basic at. Mm-hmm. And so I'll get an idea and then I get the model there and I think, oh yeah. So like that drawing I did was not anatomically correct. Like a person can't really do that. And so then you have to make changes. So yeah, it's just like my, my sketches are like bait, like the little infant of the painting, just the very basic idea. And then when I get the model and I actually have the elements to work with, then I can design the composition with the actual model. And so for some people, photography is a real issue in art. Some people feel very strongly about not using it. Other people feel very strongly that it's a tool that you should use. Do you have a, 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 is it just a practical tool for you and you don't feel like you have a, a horse in the, in the race for that debate? Well, I kind of have some opinions about it. I mean, I feel if, you know, Michelangelo had a camera, would he have used it? I don't know. Um, but I also have learned um, over time that cameras are extremely inaccurate. Like, 
it's kind of frustrating how inaccurate. And that's something you have to learn over time. Because when I was a, an art student, I thought I live and die by the photo, you know. <laughs> yeah. But now I think, oh, like I'll be there and I can see. That's the thing. Art is so much more about learning to see than it is about controlling paint, you know. And so now I can see better. So I'll have a model there and then I'll take a picture and I'll look at it and I think, okay, this is like totally inaccurate. So, so you have to, you know, make mental notes and, and, and things. Um, How do you overcome those inaccuracies? And well, what kind of in, inaccuracies are we talking about? Are we talking about colors? Are we talking about values of light to dark? Are we talking about foreshortening of figures? Are we talking about all of it? All of that. Yeah. Okay. So your colors are going to be off. Your values are going to be polarized. They're going to make your darks darker and your lights lighter. And your drawing is going to be skewed depending on where the model is uh, in the image. If you've got anything towards the edge of the lens, it's going to be skewed to the, the shape of the, the lens. You know, So things towards the edge will be bigger than they're supposed to be. And I didn't know this for a long time, right? Because, I mean... Anybody that looks at a picture thinks, oh, yeah, it's a photograph. It's got to be accurate. So I did this painting um, not that long after I graduated, and I, I just I just tried so hard. It's like, like we're going photorealism on this thing. I was trying to make it. And then I sent it to one of my professors at BYU-Idaho, Leon Parson, and he said, oh, sweetheart, you painted that from a photo, didn't you? And I was like, oh, how does he know? <laughs> He's like, her arm is way too big. And I was like, oh, you know, because I used to think you could at least you could at least trust the camera for drawing right and you can't but some things that I've learned is you can put the model take an image far away so the, the whole model is now in the center of the lens and that will be accurate and so what I'll do to correct distortion is I'll I'll take that image where the the model is far away and then I'll layer it over the image that I want to paint and then I can correct the drawing um, against the proportion that I know is right that makes sense. Interesting. I, yeah, it does make sense. I was. I, it, it also answers one of the questions that I had for you, in part. And so I've noticed uh, in in a lot of your images that it's not extreme close-ups that you're doing, but they are close-ups of the figure that are. I mean, most most figurative artists, especially those who I'm used to seeing in the 19th century and 18th and 17th century. They do multi-figural works, or if they have a single figure in a work, they will give a lot of space for it to mm -hmm. breathe. And you fill it to the edge, what we call Baroque proportions, <laughs> with your figures. You're almost filling to the edge of the canvas, which makes the figure seem monumental in my experience. And it's really like, it has an, a tremendous effect on the importance of the subject. And it makes me wonder how you arrived at that. How you arrived at filling the figures and having such an up-close and personal experience, especially with someone who I would have never guessed this until our conversation, feels insecure about line and drawing. <laughs> because that would seem to accentuate a lot of your areas that you'd be most concerned about, that as a viewer, I don't get concerned about when I'm looking at. Well, I think, I think a lot of it maybe is, like you said, just I like to have a personal experience with the viewer. So especially like in Let Go, of course I wanted that to be super tight. I want her elbows are just like seriously just you know, a quarter of an inch away from the frame because I wanted that, con she's, I want her to feel confined, you know, like, oh, I'm so whole, I'm stuck, I'm holding onto this balloon. And then, um, and then lots of times, like, I'll totally crop the figure because, like, I did a painting called Release, which is the kind of sequel to Let Go where it's just her hands. And I realized that, you know, I could include her head, 
because she's a beautiful face, but it didn't add to anything to the concept of what I wanted to say. Everything I wanted to say was there in her hands as she had let go of this balloon and she, the hands point upward and outward. Um, because I learned when you when you look toward God and look toward serving others, that's when you find healing from your black balloons. And so in 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 most of my paintings and the compositional design, I, I think, okay, well, what's most important? Like it's going back to that that illustration um, schooling where you kind of break it down to its most simple form. Um, and I just I don't know, I think I'm learn I'm I'm kind of experimenting with space a little bit here in some upcoming paintings that I'm working on. Um, but I just, I like having something kind of up close and personal. <laughs> There's this piece that you're working on called Holding Back. Yeah. That uh, um, it, it's it's of a woman who has a, uh, a maroon red um, piece of cloth that she's clasping behind her back. Again, really strong focus on the hands. Right. And you're looking at her from behind. Her head is cut off uh, above the ear. Her head is slightly turned and you're able to see the length of her back almost down to her knees and it kind of trails off at the bottom. Um, and it, it, uh, um, it has this just from a technical perspective, this, this lace, you, my sisters, I grew up, my sisters are about 10 years older than I am and they grew up in the eighties when gunny sack dresses that had the lace were still a thing and people understood lace and quality of lace it has, and and this it sent me back decades looking at this <laughs> lace immediately. But as a challenge, this must have been technically a very difficult work to do. Yeah, um, and I knew it was going to be when I started. It. And and so you gave yourself that challenge deliberately. You could have made that a plainer, well, a plainer work. I really feel like I couldn't though because. I felt her hands and the drapery were going to be so strong compositionally that you were going to need something visually to balance it. You know, if it was just a plain white dress with a normal back, I think it would feel very heavy. Like that, that fabric she's holding would feel like, you know, it weighed a ton. So I felt like I needed it um, compositionally. And this is actually a recreation of a piece that I did in like 2009, I think. Um, you can see it on my blog. It's called Holding Back. And I, I've had so many people email me about it that, that view it on my blog and say, hey, can I get a, a print of that? Or, and I think, oh, mercy, we're not going to reproduce that because I did it, um, yeah, eight years ago. Artists don't so, always have a chance to go back and change something that they've worked on yeah. now that they've got a different arsenal of skills. So, so how does your arsenal change between now and then? <laughs> a lot. A lot, and it's very. That's one thing that's really exciting for me is to look back on my work eight years ago and think, "Wow, okay, we've made some dramatic growth." Um, but also, the original painting was only a nine by twelve, and this one is a twelve by twenty-four. And in the original painting, all you get are her wrists and her hands and the cloth. You don't get her shoulders, her arms, her anything. It's just super cropped image of just her hands and holding this cloth. And I, I decided to expand it because I felt like it needed the back so that you know for sure that she's holding this behind her. You know, when, when all it was was just the cloth and hands, you're like, okay, you can read about it and realize that it's behind her, but visually it wasn't strong enough to say she was holding it behind her. So. You've also made a really interesting choice to, uh, whereas in letting go you have, or let go you have, um, the balloon and a symmetry. It's almost like it goes straight down the middle of the work. Mm -hmm. 
um, she's off center. Mm -hmm. You see one arm a lot more than you see the other arm. It, it draws your eye around the canvas in a completely different way. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a pretty high level choice. Well, I, I really believe in, um, the golden mean. And so I will a lot of times make design decisions based on that. So her, her hands are laid out right along the golden mean, which would be, you know. And if you turned it sideways, it would also be a golden mean piece, wouldn't it? Yeah. And from, from almost every direction, uh-huh, wouldn't but, it? Upside and, down, you'd have, yeah. And I do think like it's a little bit more visually interesting to have it not perfectly symmetrical. And it allowed for me to have, like I had a lot of fun with the background. Um, I really like texture and palette knife work, but it, which is really interesting because I also really love super, super high finish detail painting. And, and I'm always trying to find a way to merge those two styles in my art. Cause I feel, I used to think, you know, the more representational I could paint, the better. But then I realized, you know, I had this life, like dramatic life experience. And I realized in that, that guess what? Sometimes there isn't a everything that exists out there in the world that can say something about how you feel that sometimes you need abstraction and you need texture and color because it can it can sometimes emote a feeling that just a representational painting could not so does that mean your work is getting less representational as time goes on or is it just incorporating both it's incorporating both i hope it gets more and better representational as far as like the focal points of my paintings will always be like that. Um, but I do want to incorporate more and more abstract in the background. And, and it's really difficult finding a way to merge those. <laughs> like, okay, here's super, super refined. And then here's just like palette knife scraped across the board. And where do those, you know, intersect? And how do, can you merge slowly so that it's not like visually abrupt? So I want, I want to ask two questions. We're getting close to the end of our time, but there are okay. things that I want to cover. It's one thing is some, is I've heard you use the the phrase beauty or beautiful several times, which for the art world for a long time has been a no good word, something that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But the models you choose, and that's one case you used it in, are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and, they're, and even where you can't see their faces, you're using, um, it's, it, they're just, it's just, there's, there's a lot of focus on a kind of ideal, um, um, in, 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 in lighting, in form. And I'm not even talking about figure or anything like that. I'm just talking about beauty seems to be something that's important to you. And is that true? Yes. And why is that true? Why is it something that you strive towards? Well, cause I, you know, I, I'm painting for the common person really. Like my goal as an artist is to be able to create works that anybody off the street could kind of respond to. And I don't know why, but there's something inside us that I think every common person can responds to beauty. I mean, it's just like something that I think that is innate inside us. And so I, I choose beautiful subjects, A, because they're fun to paint. And then B, I think, I think the everyday person responds to it. Huh. What do you think about beauty? What do I? Oh, I've got a lot of, a lot of thoughts about <laughs> beauty. I think that... Um, I don't know if there is a canonical single answer for what is ideal or beautiful. I'm not a Neoplatonist that believes that there's only you know an, an, an ideal human form or ideal that, but I do believe that 
I don't know what my answer is yet because I, I do believe the beauty plays a role. And modern art, Robert Hughes, the artist, the art critic, he was Australian, but he's published all over um, and been very influential in modernism, said that uh, that modernism had basically three languages, and they were um, protest, revol- uh, revolution, and irony. And beauty doesn't really play a role in protest or revolution or irony. And unless you have something like a melting Barbie, right? That's irony, <laughs> right? And, and to me, irony and protest and revolution have a place. But it's like, uh, oh, who is the, the author who wrote Consider the Lobster? Um, David Foster Wallace. Eric, who's here, said that. Help me with that. He used to say that our generation has been raised with this idea of, of protest and irony and popping the bubble in a moment, walking in and having one clever phrase that shows how, that, that, that through cynicism, we are proving that power is wrong and the people who are in charge don't know everything. And, and he said, but what do you replace that with? And I think that's part of beauty's role. I think beauty's role is to give us something to go towards and it doesn't mean that beauty has to be the same for everybody. But, but when I look at your images, I definitely see that you're dealing with dark, dark subjects that maybe lend themselves to protest and, 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 uh, and anger and anxiety. But you're doing it with beauty, which to me is such an interesting choice because they're ultimately optimistic, even though they're dealing with anxiety. That's my right. personal take. I may be totally off and saying No, that. I think you're I think you're right. And you know, I did this painting just recently called The Beauty of Not Knowing, where you've got a girl with a blindfold over her face. And um and I it was based on this idea that this girl doesn't know where she's at. And it was inspired because I was at the verge of this huge life decision to get a master's degree at Laguna College of Art and Design. I'd been accepted and I um, had a down payment on tuition. I was ready to go. And I had all these questions like, what am I going to do with my children? And how am I going to pay for childcare? And it kind of costs like quadruple the amount to like live there, you know? And so with all these questions and not knowing what was going to go on, I did this painting of a girl naturally with a blindfold on because I felt like that. But I called it the beauty of not knowing because I realized it's kind of a beautiful place to be in, the not knowing, because it makes you so dependent on God because you have no clue, like no clue how things are going to work out. And that's beautiful, that dependence. And and even these paintings where, you know, I've, I've painted a girl with anxiety. I did a painting called The Battlefield, where there's a girl with both hands on her head. <laughs> and it's about these, I feel like 90% of my battles are in my head. And, and that's a kind of a dark image too, but it's also beautiful. That's the thing, that this is the abundant life, right? Like I've been through hell, and yet I experience joy and it is all beauty, hmm. both the dark and the light. I mean, you need in art, you need the darkest dark and you need the lightest light to create a thing of beauty, you know? Wow. I, I, uh, am also, I'm fascinated by this, by how you, these paintings are a direct expression of the questions you have and a kind of answer too. <laughs> It's, yeah. really, it's really remarkable. It's 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 almost like a ma- it's it's almost like a masterclass in the purpose and usefulness of art. 
Well, and even like I told you, I did this girl with the blindfold. I did another one called Waiting for Answers, where there's this girl, her her neck is just raised and her she's looking up as far as she you know possibly can look up. And it looks kind of painful because anybody, you know, puts their neck back like that kind of hurts. And I did that too is when I was in this moment, like, what am I going to do? And the beautiful thing is, is that in the painting, I got the answer to my question of what was I going to do? Mm. And what happened was I went to the Oil Painters of America exhibition in Cincinnati in May. And Bill Whitaker was there as the juror. And I had a minute to sit down with him. And he said, you know, I don't, I don't think you should go to school. And I was like, really? Because I kind of already paid my down payment. <laughs> he said, um, you know, because if you go there, you'll get a degree. But the kind of education you're seeking, I think, might be better if you come study with me. And so he offered me this ability, this chance to come I was going to ask you if this painting in the blindfold was somehow influenced by Bill Whitaker. Yeah. For those who don't know Bill Whitaker, he is considered one of the greatest painters of the human figure that we have anywhere. And we are lucky enough to have him nearby and and to know that you made that connection with him. Yeah. And to have somebody like him tell you, you don't need to go to this other school, but come be with me. That is a rare thing that, hap- that he does not take many people under his wing. I, I know. I mean, I'm still kind of just uh, kind of struck by the whole thing. But it's so beautiful to me that as I had all like, I feel like all my paintings are prayers, really. And 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 sometimes God thinks, OK, what does Genity need to learn? We should have her paint about that. And then as I paint, then I learn and and I get answers to my questions. So kind of cool that in painting, waiting for answers, my answer came and it was awesome because I really love living in Utah and now I don't have to move. <laughs> well, I think we couldn't we, we couldn't end at a better place. That is the perfect, perfect way to summarize this conversation. I'm so grateful that you came. Thank you for having me. It's it's been it's been a gift. And um, we will make sure that everybody knows where to see your work, where to find you, where to follow you. And um, I understand you're also going to be this week in the Alpine Art Show. Mm-hmm. And are there any other things that we should know about that are coming up quickly for you that people can co- go and see your work in person? Mm-hmm. Any galleries that are currently showing your work? I have work in the Frameworks Gallery in the University Mall in Orem. Okay. And then I'm going to be at Education Week Monday and Tuesday at BYU. So um, Education Week is what? what oh, sorry. Weeks? August 21st and 22nd. Okay, so this week is is, is the week of, of August 7th to, to to 10th. No, sorry, 7th to the 11th, you'll be in, in Alpine. Right. And then Education Week is? August 21st and the 22nd, I'll okay, be there. And a lot of people will see you there, I'm mm-hmm. sure. And you're going to physically be there? Yes. So you'll be able to have conversations? I'll be there. Okay. And then I will also be at Swiss Days in Heber, which is September 1st and 2nd. That's a lot of busy, a lot of busyness. I know. <laughs> My poor children. Thank you so much again, Genity. Hey, thanks. Thank you. I'd like to thank the artist Genity Page for joining us for this episode of Mormon Visual Culture, presented by the Zion Art Society. You can see her works and the work by Ron Richmond that we discussed on our website, zionartsociety.org, under the podcast tab. For more interviews with artists, collectors, and scholars, subscribe to Mormon Visual Culture on iTunes. I'm Micah Christensen. Thank you for listening.